Take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 12, please. This morning, Luke chapter 12. Thank you. I am finishing up this morning the series that I've been preaching entitled Flies in the Anointing. There certainly are many more flies that I could preach on, that's for sure, and probably many that you wish that I would preach on or ones that you would uh, encourage me to preach on, but I have chosen the ones that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart for these weeks, and today I want to finish up with this fly. Did you know that there is an American Idol? And I'm not talking about the TV program or the TV show. There is an American Idol that is strong and healthy today, and that American Idol of today is called Greed. Now let me give you a definition of what greed really is. Greed is the illegitimate desire or pursuit of material gain. The illegitimate desire or pursuit of material gain. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 27 says this. It says the greedy bring ruin to their households. The greedy bring ruin to their households. Did you know that in Romans chapter 1, in the list of sins that Paul gives, did you know that greed comes right alongside of murder? It's in the same category and the same list as murder. You see, money seeks to become a master, doesn't it? And the motivating factor is greed. Paul said that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, don't misquote that. He didn't say money is the root of all evil. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, I'm going to guess already that some of you have said, man, I'm glad I know now what you're preaching on because I think I'm clear in this one. So let me give you a test. Let me give you a test and you be honest. In fact, I heard Tony Evans give this test to his congregation and so I want to give it to mine. Here's a test for whether you fall under the category of struggling with greed. Number one, when you use immoral means to accumulate, that's greed. Number two, greed is when you complain more than you give thanks. When you complain more than you give thanks, that is greed. Number three, greed is when you care more about cash than you do character. When you care more about cash than you do character, that is greed. Number four, when your financial life is going up while your spiritual life is going down. Greed. Number five, greed is when you treat people with money better than you treat people who don't have so much. Number six, greed is when you covet what other people have. And number seven, greed is when you hurt others in your pursuit of things. Money, I believe, in America is truly the American idol of our day. Which brings us to our text in Romans chapter 12, which you begin reading with me in verse 19, or actually verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, so that he will divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness or greed. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesseth. Then Jesus spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and 
He thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns, I'll build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. I want to go through this passage of scripture, and I want to just preach this last message on flies that get into our life, that mess up our life, and can stink our life up. I want you to notice, first of all, the person and his problem. Now, I didn't start with chapter or, or in the chapter with verse 1. I started a reading in verse 13, but I need you to go to verse 1 to look at the person and his problem. The Bible tells us in verse 1, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. Notice the next phrase. In so much that they trod or they trampled one upon another and began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now Jesus is here teaching, get with me, understand the context, get the picture, okay? Jesus is literally teaching a massive number of people, a multitude of people. In fact, the Bible calls it an innumerable number of people. He's teaching them, if we were to read the whole chapter, he's teaching on things like hidden things, things that are secret in our lives. I would call them flies. He called them hidden things. He's teaching them about fearing God. He's teaching them about hell. He's literally here teaching them about how to stand up and be counted for for Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, while he's teaching a massive amount of people, a man from the crowd has an issue. In his life, his issue is big enough in his mind to come and interrupt Jesus while he is teaching thousands of people. I mean, there's such a big crowd, the Bible says they're trampling over one another. And this guy's issue is so big to him that he interrupts Jesus' teaching. It's very interesting that rather than Jesus talk to this one man about his problem... He turns to the whole crowd and he continues, but he changes subjects and he deals with this man's root issue. Do you know what it was? Greed. Rather than deal with this guy one-on-one -on -one in front of a massive crowd, he just turns and he deals with the entire crowd. Everybody. He doesn't address this man's problem. He addresses this man's problem before the entire mass of people. Do you know why? Because they all had the same problem. In fact, Jesus says in verse 15, he says, beware. Now, you and I, we both, we all understand what that means, to beware. We know what it means when it says, beware of dog. We know what it means when it says, beware of downed wires. Jesus begins by saying, beware. Jesus' severe warning about what, Lord? Greed. Jesus goes on and he says that life isn't about stuff. Life is not about things, it's not about riches, it's not about money, it's not about houses, it's not about cars. Do you know what most Americans are afraid of? Poverty. Do you know what all Americans ought to be afraid of? Wealth. 
and what it could do to us. Now all of a sudden, the master storyteller of all time tells a story in order to make an eternal point about greed. So we notice the parable and the parable's purpose. Jesus brings into his story, first of all, the personality in the parable. Now it's interesting that in verse 16, he says that a certain, what kind of man? Rich man. That's what he says. He says a certain rich man. So remember as we go through this story that Jesus tells, this parable, remember something. This guy he's talking about is already very rich. This guy's successful. He pondered and he thought through life. He planned for the present and he planned for the future. And Proverbs talks a lot about how that we ought to plan. And so he talks first of all about this personality in his story that he's going to tell, but then he also moves right on into the plan in the parable. Here it is in verse 17. This guy, this person in the parable, Jesus talks now about this man's plan. He thought within himself saying, what should I do? Because I don't have any room where to bestow my fruit. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build bigger and greater and there will I bestow all of my fruits and my goods. This guy's going to tear down in order to rebuild. Logical. He's going to do something that you and I probably would quickly do. We don't have enough room. We've got to tear down and take and build bigger. Why should we build bigger? So we can store more. Store more. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Come on, we got to be honest with ourselves. Don't shut me down this morning. You're in the same boat, I'm in the same boat. Jesus spoke to the entire multitude of people. You say, well, I bet you everybody in that multitude of people didn't have the problem of greed, but I'm going to say they probably all were tempted with it. And this guy... I mean, he's ready to store more. And the reason I say that really sounds familiar in our day is because did you know that there are more than 30, listen, 32,000 self-storage businesses in our country, 32,000 different storage businesses in America. Did you know that 100 million storage containers are sold by Rubbermaid every single year? 100 million You don't store up anything, do you? Man, we store up in our garages. We store up in our closets. I've got stuff in my closets I haven't worn for five years, ten years. Why in the world is it still there? But it's stored up there. We store up and store up and store up. And, and many have storage units that they just don't want to get rid of it they just don't want to give it away because one day one now now let me say something very quickly riches in themselves riches themselves are not evil they're not evil but the love of money and the love of stuff can bind us to the temporal and blind us to the spiritual. So many people have a foolish perspective when it comes to money. They long for it. They scheme for it. They dream about it. They gamble for it just in case maybe they might hit the lottery. I agree with Mark Twain. He said the best throw of the dice when it comes to gambling is the throw the dice away. People sacrifice their family for money. You ever known of people that have done that? People sacrifice their health for money. They sacrifice their reputation for money. I know people that have sacrificed their good name and their character for money. Bernie Madoff sure did. 
That's an amazing story because he was a gifted, intelligent member of the U.S. financial industry. He helped launch the NASDAQ. I mean, this guy was filthy rich. He served on the board of the National Association of the Securities Dealers. He carried a lot of clout on Wall Street. He was respected. He was admired. But on December 11, 2008, he was arrested and charged with securities fraud. And he was sentenced to 150 years in prison. Now, now answer me a question. Let's be logical. How could a gifted, intelligent, talented, filthy, wealthy man go from being so admired as a respected, respected businessman to becoming the most reviled and the most hated criminal in U.S. financial history. How does that happen? I'll tell you how. Greed. Greed. We see in verse 19, as Jesus continues on with his story, to a multitude of people, he talks about in this parable the personality of this guy who's so successful and super rich. He talks about the man's plan, that, but notice the man's praise. The praise in this parable. Verse 19. This guy who's so rich, who's so successful, he says, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast so much goods laid up for many years, so take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Listen to this guy. He says, soul, I have so much stuff. I have saved and invested so well. I have saved and I have worked and I have stored up consistently. I have done it for a long, long time. I have become so successful. It is time now for me to take it easy, for me to retire, for me to relax, for me to buy my beach house, my, my lake house, and coast until I die. He is praising himself. But all of a sudden, Jesus in the story gives a prognosis of this guy. It's a one-word prognosis. Fool. Fool. That's what he calls him. Folks, this is not an indictment from a man about a man. This is an indictment from Jesus Christ about this man. God says to him, you've been painting your house your whole adult life and everyone who passes by is so impressed but Jesus says you've been leaning your ladder up against the wrong house painting through your adulthood life. And then Jesus tells him in this parable, and besides all that, you're going to die. Not tomorrow, but tonight. That's the parable and its purpose. So now I want to know, okay, Lord, give me the picture and the point of your story. What is the picture and the point? And he tells us in verse 21 what that is. Jesus said, here he is talking to the multitude. Here he is telling this great story. They'd all come to hear a great story and teaching anyway. And so he gives the story and he says, here's the point. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, but he's not rich toward God. You know what this man in the story is? This man in this story is so focused, focused on what? The unholy trinity. Me, myself, and I. 
Life was all about me to this man. What I think, what I want. It's interesting. In this story Jesus told, he didn't one time go talk to his wife. The Bible doesn't say he didn't talk to any of his kids. He didn't go to any of his friends to get a little counsel and what he ought to do. He didn't go to his associates in the business. Every conversation in this parable that Jesus tells is focused on self. It's my crops, it's my goods, it's my barns. This guy's a self-made man. Can I just tell you this afternoon or this morning, there is no such thing as a self-made man. There's not one person on the face of God's earth that is a self-made man. God gave this guy his breath. God gave this guy his energy. God gave this guy his health to work. God gave this guy his mind. God gave this guy his ability. God gave him the sunlight. God gave him the rain. God gave him the soil. God gave it to him. Now let's go back to verse 1 and remember the man who started the whole thing of why Jesus even gave this story. The man who started the whole thing that came up to Jesus, interrupted, I don't know, maybe it was intermission from Jesus' talk. I don't know. But he interrupted Jesus and this guy's saying, I need you to fix a problem. I need you to fix this situation my bro- with my brother. Lord Jesus, I want my money from my family estate. Now remember, Jesus had been teaching about heaven. And Jesus had been teaching about hell. And this man basically comes up and says, who cares about that? I'm worried about my inheritance. What is Jesus' point? Jesus' point is that material wealth can't satisfy because satisfaction in life can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. God made you and me in His image right? And so there is a God-shaped vacuum in every single solitary soul. Now, you and I can try to stick in the vacuum whatever we want. We can try to stick in that vacuum of our life money. We can stick in their pleasure. We can stick in their golf. We can stick in their new clubs. We can stick in their a new house. We can stick in their a new boat. But those things are like a ride at Disney World. They're exciting for a very short time. I have... A 1996 Sea Ray 21 foot boat. I said a 1996. Years ago, to be honest with you, I played softball for years and man, my shoulder was a mess. And the doctor gave me cortisone shots twice. And finally, the third time, I went back for another one and he said, I'm not giving you anymore. He said, either get surgery on your shoulder or quit playing softball. Softball was on Monday nights. I used to take Mondays off. What did I do? I quit playing softball and went out and bought a 1983 Cobalt boat. Why? Because I wanted to spend time with my family and I didn't want them to resent ministry. So I bought an old, old, old boat. And we went out, and we'd go out on Mondays, a lot of times, out on the boat. I upgraded. I sold that thing to Pastor Bob. I gave him a really good deal. I did give him a good deal. And then one day he decided he was going to winterize it himself instead of letting somebody like Dan Simmons. I, I don't know anything about that boat, my boat. 
I've had, Dan knows, don't, don't, he knows everything about it. But Pastor Bob decided he was going to winterize his own boat and he messed it up. <laughs> but I bought a 1996 years ago. See, right. Had a new engine in it. Had a captain's call. Had new seats. Had dual batteries. And it was more than what I needed, but I was excited to get it. But just, I don't know, four years ago, I needed to get it repaired, and I took it down to the Sea Ray shop down off Kellogg, and I dropped it off, and when I dropped it off, I made the mistake of walking around in the showroom. <laughs> oh my goodness. My 1996 Sea Ray didn't look all that great anymore. I remember I, there were three boats in the, and one of them was a 21-foot, I don't know, you know, 2000, I guess, probably something like a 2016. I didn't have kids in the house anymore. I didn't have Christian school to pay for. I didn't have college to pay for anymore. I looked at my boat. I looked at this boat. I climbed up those steps. I was okay until I climbed up three steps and looked inside the Sea Ray. And I remember I started thinking, I, I, think, I, could, I think I could do this. <laughs> We're so prone to greed. We're so prone to bigger and better and newer and shinier. We're just prone that way, aren't we? By the way, lest I leave you hanging, I still have my 1996 Sea Ray boat. You see, I'm just saying the more we have, the more we want, the more we need. This man is now thinking, my business is bigger. And he's thinking bigger and bigger. My business can get bigger and bigger and more money and more prosperity. But God had other plans. God is coming that very night for his soul. Friend, I'm telling you what Jesus is telling every single one of us, whether it doesn't matter whether it's 2022 or all the way back in this day and age where he's teaching to these people in a personal way, we, he says, had better start thinking eternally. Life can be so unexpected. And by the way, God gives absolutely no hints, does he? Joy and I were planning a trip to Oberammergau. It's supposed to be the best passion play in the world. We were planning a trip to Germany. That's where it was at. And then the trip involved going for a few days to Switzerland. And man, we were pumped and we were excited and we had it planned a year and a half beforehand. And then COVID hit. Knocked those plans out. Two months after COVID hit, we found out Joy's cancer was back. And within a year later, Joy was gone. One week ago Friday, Mike Walker was with co-workers just for a fun work day, backpedaling, I believe, playing dodgeball. Is that right? fell backwards, hit his head, and two days later, gone. Can I just tell you and remind you, we better not build our life around things and money and bigger and better. Jesus is saying, you want to be wise and not a fool? Then build up treasures in heaven. By the way, look around today. Go, go around. Take a, take a little hike and go around the facilities of First Baptist Church. Maybe walk upstairs and, or go over to the children's wing or go into the gymnasium or, or just sit in the room maybe later and, and just ponder. Go to the lobby and just kind of meditate on your own. <laughs> look around the buildings. They're almost 
all paid for. Almost all paid off. The givers through these years to the program of progress, I'm telling you, you guys, you ladies, ought to look at what God has used you to do. To many greedy people who build up more and more and more and more, they don't even live long enough to enjoy their stuff. I'm telling you today, as I finish up this series, don't let the fly of greed turn you into a fool. On another occasion, Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 13, and he spoke to another group of people on this occasion, and here's what he said. He said, he that is faithful in that which is least, speaking about money, will be faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. He's saying if you're faithful in the way you handle your money, you'll be faithful in other areas of we as well. If you're not faithful in the way you handle your money, you won't be faithful in other areas. He said if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, the money, who's going to commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Jesus said, for either he's going to hate the one and love the other, or else he's going to hold to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve God and money. He said, you cannot he didn't say maybe. He said you cannot. He said it is not possible to serve money and God. You bring your money and make it equal to God. You bring your profits and make it equal to God. You bring your business and make it equal to God. You now have an American idol or a fly in the ointment of your life. If God can't trust you with money, God says he can't trust you with the true riches of life. You say, okay, true riches. What, what, what's true riches? True riches can be defined as what God gives that money cannot give. That's true riches. What God gives that money can't buy. You see, there are things in life you and I can't pay for. And the doctor says there's nothing else we can do. You better have some true riches. When you have a kid that won't listen to you or anyone else and they think because they're so blind with life, they think that they're wiser than you and wiser than God and wiser than God's word. When you have a kid like that who won't listen, you better have some true riches. When life throws you a curveball and you're not good at hitting curves, you better know who to call to get to the plate of your life, Jesus Christ. But if you have an American idol called greed, or if you have the fly of greed in your life, that fly will not buy you what you need. When joy left this earth and went to heaven, money doesn't mean that much to me anymore. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Money's a good servant, but a really poor master. We all need money to live. I don't care about a bigger house. Or a better house. I don't care about a newer or better car. I don't care about a, an exotic vacation as much as I used to. I am glad, although I struggle like you, 
I'm so glad that I've not built a storage unit out of stuff. But I've tried to store up treasures in heaven. I had a friend that I grew up with. He had a twin sister. I've stayed in somewhat contact with him. He's a very super successful man. Three houses, boat, on the best lake in Orlando. Hedge funds, travels. When his mom got sick, he called me up and said, Brent, can you meet me in Finley where we grew up? I did. When his sister got sick with cancer, called me up. We talked. When she passed away during COVID from cancer, he said, Brent, could you do a, could you do a Zoom funeral for me? He was so distraught. He had one sister, mom and dad. The mom and dad were gone. Now the sister had passed away. He told me, he said, Brent, you know my sister, she didn't, she didn't have much money. He said, on one occasion I said to her, why don't you make something out of your life? You know what he said after she passed? He said, Brent, I was walking and going through her things in her apartment. I read through her Bible notes. I read through her notebooks. I read through some of the devotionals that she had. He said, you know what I found out, Brent? She had made something out of her life. But I haven't. This passage that Jesus is giving to us Jesus tells us you can be successful and a fool at the same time. So let me give to you in closing the prescription and its profit. How do you and I fight the American idol of greed? How do we do that? Because I don't know any way to say that I feel like I'm looking at everybody and saying we all probably fight it, don't we? How do, how do we fight greed? I, I, I'm going to guess that all of us, we're Americans. You say, man, I'm one of the poorest people in First Baptist Church. Could be, but you're still one of the richest people in the world. You are. And by the way, you don't have to be rich to fight greed. Poor people fight greed all the time. So how do we fight it? What should we do? How do we keep the fly out of our life? How do we get it out if it's already in there before it dies and stinks up our life? Let me give to you four quick ways. And they'll be quick. Number one, gratitude. Gratitude. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, read this verse with me. Paul says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. What does that mean? They'd be grateful, not, not trusting in their uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Friend, listen, it's not what's in your wallet that is near as important as what's in your heart. God gave this man, this rich man, everything he needed to be successful. He gave him the soil. He gave him the seed. He gave him the health. He gave him the rain. He gave him the sunshine. But this guy never once gave God thanks. We have so much to be grateful for. We have so much. So much. And I want to tell you, the gratitude, the greatest things on the list of gratitude ought not be our house, our car, although God gave those to us and we ought to be thankful for them. But the highest things in our life ought to be what God has given to us. 
in ways that are maybe intangible and that are eternal. Gratitude. Number two, trust. Trust. First Timothy 6 verse 17, it goes on and it says, don't trust in uncertain riches, but rather trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Don't walk out of here and say, man, I feel guilty that I've got a nice big house. Don't do that. Be grateful for it. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not going to feel guilty that I got a boat. I'm not going to feel guilty about the house. I know God gave it to us. I never expected to live in what I live in now. Not that it's that elaborate. It's not. But I never expected that. That wasn't my goal in life. I went into ministry. I lived in parsonages until I was 40. Never had a house. It was okay. Don't go out of here feeling guilty about what you have. I'm saying be grateful, but don't trust in those things. Think about it. How many of you, please don't raise your hand because everybody will kind of snicker, <laughs> but how many of you today had to trust God for your breakfast? How many of you had to trust God or trusting God that, oh Lord, please give me a lunch today? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody prayed, Jesus, give me food today for my family. Most people are so good at managing their resources that they not only are doing fine without relying on God, but they've made sure their kids never have to depend on God for much either. I want to tell you something, one bad diagnosis could put you in the poorhouse. I thought it would with me and my wife when they wouldn't pay for the last treatment. And the doctor told me and said, insurance won't pay for it. I said, then I'll sell my house, just do it. He said, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it can work that way. Just do it. He said, no, I've got it all managed. I've got everything in my life put together. If this happens, I've got this. If this happens, you know what Paul says? You want to fight greed? Then trust God. I encourage everyone before you die, if you're able with your health, to go to a third world country with your family. They have nothing. They don't even have a floor. I watched them cook my shrimp on the dirt floor. They don't have indoor toilets. They don't have, they basically have nothing. All they have is Jesus and each other. And I want to know, why do these Christians always have such a smile on their face? A third way to fight greed is not only gratitude and trust, but you ready for this? Generosity. Generosity. 1 Timothy 6, verse 18 that they do good, God tells us, do good. That they be rich in good works. Ready to give. Why does God bless us so much? Why does he bless us so much? Why do we have so much? I'll tell you why. God blesses us so that we will be generous. And if we say, I'm not being generous, I've got a goal, and I've got this goal with my portfolio, and I'm shooting for that. Folks, listen. You don't give, and you're going to be a greedy person. You will. 
We are commanded to be generous. And generosity is the opposite of greed. Do you really today want to fight greed? Do you really want to swat that fly out? Do you really want to get it out of your ointment if it's already in there? Then start giving stuff away. And I really, truly mean that. I'm not just preaching. Give it away. You see, God actually does have a storage plan. A storage unit of good works. A storage unit of incorruptible things. He's got a storage unit of eternal things. Hey, I want to give you a challenge. An actual, tangible challenge. Here it is. Give something valuable. Not something that you're never going to wear again or never going to use again. Something that's been there in the basement down there in your storage basement area. I'm talking about valuable. Give something valuable away this week to somebody who has a need. And you say, I don't know anybody. I've got some people I can tell you. I, I can tell you some people that have stepped out in their life To take care of a boy who can't speak, who can't talk, who can't walk, who can't do anything. They just, he just had a major surgery. They're not rich people. As far as the world's riches speak of. But they're rich people with eternal. Taking care of a boy like that. Give some of your money away. Give it away. There are people in need. Pray and ask God to show you somebody that you can give to and don't wait till next month. Do it this week. Last of all, the perspective, accountability. Verse 19, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Friend, one day this life is over. One day eternity begins. Matthew Henry put it this way. He said it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. God told this man in this story, in his parable, he said, this night... This night, I read this week about a uh, Joe's Crab Shack somewhere in Florida. I have no idea which town it's in, but I read about it. And, And it's got a sign outside of Joe's Crab Shack there at this restaurant in Florida. The sign says, free crabs tomorrow. Free. You see, every day, Everyone missed the crabs because the sign said, tomorrow. You know what God's favorite word is? Today. Today. Some of you are living for tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'll leave my greed. Tomorrow, I'll get right with God. Tomorrow, I'll get saved. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. What would happen with you if God were to say, this day, thy soul shall be required of thee. Are you prepared? Are you ready to meet the Lord? I've preached now for five or six weeks 
a whole series on flies and the anointing of your life. No matter what fly I have preached on or have not preached on, today is the day to get that fly out of the ointment and get right with God. What do you think? Would you bow your heads? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I wonder how many of God's people, God's people, across this church would say, Pastor, God has spoken to my heart today about a fly. I'm not asking you which fly. I'm not asking you, is it a fly I've preached on? It could be a fly I've not preached on. But I wonder how many of you would say, God has spoken to my heart. And with God's help, I want to get that fly away from my life. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, I I want you to pray for me. Just put it up all over. Many, many hands. Thank you. You may put them down. Friend, you may be here today and maybe you have for your entire life up to this point said, tomorrow I'll get saved. Tomorrow I'll give my life to Jesus. Tomorrow I'll get right. I'm telling you, listen carefully, I truly believe there'll be more people from America that will be in hell one day because they said tomorrow than people who have said no. Today is the day for you to be saved. And God will save you today if you'll come to him. I wonder how many across this church this morning would say, Pastor, God has spoken to my heart today about being saved today. And I'm ready and I want you to pray for me. If that's you, would you lift your hand right where you are? I won't call you out, embarrass you, but how many would say, I need to be saved. I need to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift your hand wherever you are? Anyone at all. Let's stand together to our feet. I am so glad that you joined us today on our online campus. If you made a decision for Jesus Christ to receive Christ as your personal Savior, or if you decided that you wanted to be all in for Jesus Christ, we would love for you to click the share button so that we can rejoice with you and even pray for you. Thank you so much for joining us on our online campus today. And we trust that you'll join us again soon.